after um, a mere nine-week break, uh, we're back with our series um, looking at some encounters that Jesus had um, with various people that we come across in the Gospel of Luke. Some of them, of course, are unique to Luke. In fact, the one that we'll be thinking about this morning is only found in Luke. Others are in all of the Synoptic Gospels. But if I were to ask you the question, what, what do you reckon is the most unpopular group of workers in the United Kingdom? I wonder what you would say. Have a thought about that for a minute. What do we have? Tax men. Traffic wardens. Traffic wardens. There was a, there was a survey done in, uh, based in the United Kingdom, a survey done a few years ago, um, which asked that very question. And number one was traffic wardens. Others featuring on this list of undesirables were call center staff, salesmen, lawyers, and police officers. And also featuring on the list were bankers, estate agents, one that I can relate to, road maintenance workers, and of course, politicians. But as Gerald has rightly got in, we shouldn't overlook the tax inspectors. Opening a letter from HMRC has to be amongst life's least pleasurable moments. And of course, the inland revenue to give it its old title is often the subject of uh, jokes and satire. Uh, recently, I read that given all the angst that had been generated by um, HMRC's self-assessment tax returns, tax forms, that they were going to now uh, simplify the process. Now the self-assessment tax form would have only two sections. Section A, how much did you earn last year? Section B, send it all in. <laughs> <laughs> all that to introduce the central character in this morning's encounter with Christ, and that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So we're going to turn to our text. It's Luke chapter 19, and it's the first 10 verses. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, 
he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus occurs in uh, Jericho, a city about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Now, of course, we know that Jericho is famous for its ice cream shop, Walls of Jericho. Boom, boom. That actually, as I have to confess, that was a John Green joke that he told me a few years ago. It's, unfortunately, it stuck with me. <laughs> actually, many, many archaeologists say that Jericho is probably the world's largest continuously inhabited city. Enter then Zacchaeus. And Luke tells us four things about Zacchaeus. First of all, he was a chief tax collector. Not just any tax collector, he was the boss. Second, he was wealthy. Third, he wanted to see who Jesus was. So much so that he ran and then was prepared to climb up the sycamore, sycamore fig tree. And fourth, he was a short man, which explains why he needed his treetop vantage point. I don't know about you, what, what your mental image is of Zacchaeus. I must admit, um, I have this sort of Danny DeVito-like character comes to the fore of my mind. Or, to bring it a bit closer to Castle Fellowship, I must admit, I do think of Wee Joe. Now, I know that for those of you who have joined Castle Fellowship, really, you know, from sort of before, since COVID hit, that name, Wee Joe, won't mean anything to you. But if you did belong to Castlereagh Fellowship before COVID, it certainly will. You will know who I am referring to. And I do appreciate that, you know, it is illogical. My mental image of sort of Wee Joe is illogical because there's no way that Wee Joe could climb up that tree. <laughs> Never mind any tree. But, you know, there is perhaps a danger that we, we I, I don't know about you, but I sort of, you know, sort of start to think of Zacchaeus because he's described as a short man. You sort of think, you feel sympathetic towards him and almost like this wee cuddly figure. But the reality is that he was anything but a cuddly figure. He was someone for whom people would have an intense dislike. Effectively, he would be regarded as a social outcast. 
And why so unpopular is not hard to make out. It was due to his occupation as a tax collector. We know that the Romans, they um, farmed out taxing rights to the highest bidder. And whoever won the contract then to collect the taxes for the Romans, they would collect the taxes and they would add a sum on to cover their own labor expenses and also to make a profit. And Zacchaeus oversaw the work of others. He was like the head of the local tax department and he would then take commission from all the different people who were raising the taxes that that sort of he employed. And Jericho was a very lucrative place to work as a tax collector, for it was a leading trade route. And tolls and customs duty would be levied on the transportation of goods through Jericho. That in itself would help explain why Zacchaeus would be so unpopular in the opinion polls of the day. But there were additional factors as well. First, because he was raising taxes for the Romans, many would regard him as being a traitor to the Jewish nation. The Romans were the occupying force in Israel. And tax collectors were shunned by the synagogue. And a tax collector was not allowed to bring testimony to a court. Secondly, tax collectors were very well known for being corrupt. They exploited people by overestimating the value of the the goods, the merchandise, so that they could enjoy a substantial markup, you know, cream off a lot of profit. Basically, they were considered as extortioners. Indeed, the Jewish Talmud classed tax collectors with robbers. And evidently, Zacchaeus must have been guilty of such extortion, for we read that he was a wealthy man. This was no generous, wee Joe-like character. Zacchaeus was highly unlovable. As David Gooding puts it, Zacchaeus was a little man in more senses than one. So when Zacchaeus made his way to catch a glimpse of Jesus, there was very little prospect that the crowd were going to make way for him. Zacchaeus, however, was nothing but resourceful. The sycamore tree came to his rescue, and so up he climbed. And there then follows this amazing exchange. Jesus stops, looks straight up at Zacchaeus, and tells him, to come down immediately, for Jesus must spend time in Zacchaeus's home. And we shouldn't lose the sheer shock factor here. 
Zacchaeus was a social outcast, an absolutely hateful, odious figure in the eyes of the people. And yet Jesus picks him out as the one that he demands hospitality of. And remember that in the culture of the day, eating in another person's home was considered to be an act of intimate fellowship. No wonder the crowd, and note that Luke tells us here that it wasn't one or two of the crowd, it was all the crowd, all the people, react with disgust, muttering that Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus is absolutely thrilled. At once he dismounts the tree and gladly bids Jesus to come to his house. And he expresses a determination to change, to be done with his old greedy and corrupt ways. Look, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. As has been pointed out, the Jewish law only necessitated restitution of the original sum plus one-fifth. So Zacchaeus was offering well in excess of the minimum compensation for his past wrongdoing. And he was willing to pay up right away. Here and now, I will do this. As John Mason, one of the commentators, remarks, we can almost hear him turning the, lo- the combination lock on a safe to get the money out to repay. Jesus responds by declaring that Zacchaeus has experienced salvation. He has become a true child of Abraham, not just a physical descendant of Abraham, but he's now a spiritual son too. The social outsider has become an insider in the kingdom of God, another beneficiary of Jesus' mission to seek and save what was lost. So I'm going to finish with some lessons but don't get too excited don't prepare just to exit your seat just yet Uh, i know the clock says a quarter past um for i have a number of lessons but i promise i've been told i must finish on time today because of the combined bible class so number one number one life consists of more than possessions life consists of more than possessions Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, living off the ill-gotten gains of tax extortion. But even had Zacchaeus' wealth been legitimately gained, this would not have brought him ultimate fulfillment. For life is about more than money and material possessions. Each of us possesses an immaterial soul, And it is only a relationship with God that can satisfy our soul's needs. I am reminded of Jesus' searching question, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? 
And we know that many a rich person in history and today has been prone to all sorts of depression and mental illness. You know, think of Harvard Hughes, one of the richest men who ever walked on this planet, who basically went insane. Or today's celebrities, um, J.K. Rowling, Lady Gaga, each, both of those, both of those people, despite their great wealth, have confessed to having issues, major issues with depression. You see, money just cannot substitute for a relationship with God. Lesson number two, there are no coincidences with God. No coincidences. Zacchaeus was hoping that he would catch a sight of Jesus as Jesus passed through Jericho. What he didn't know was that a divine appointment had already been scheduled for him for that day. Jesus did not require any introduction to who Zacchaeus was. He simply stopped. He knew him, and he told him by name to come down, and he made his way to Zacchaeus' home. It was all preordained. This was the day that salvation was going to come to Zacchaeus' door. And all of us, all of us in this room who enjoy what Zacchaeus came to experience that day, salvation, the gift of eternal life, each of us can likewise point to people or to events that God used to bring us personally to Christ. Nothing in the program of God is left to chance. All is sovereignly and providentially ordained. Number three, don't let anyone or anything stop you from coming to Christ. In one sense, Zacchaeus serves as a role model for us. Not, of course, in his swindling, but in his determination to meet Jesus and to obey Jesus' command. Zacchaeus was small in height, small in stature, and the crowd was both large and unfriendly toward him. But that would not deter him. He would see Jesus, even if it would mean making a spectacle of himself by climbing up the tree. There is never anyone or anything that deserves to come between you and Jesus Christ. I don't care who it is or what it is. Meeting Jesus is always more important. So learn from the small man. Do what needs to be done to avail of the opportunity to encounter Christ for yourself and heed his call no matter what that will involve. Number four, the gospel is for sinners. As the crowd was only too willing to point out, Zacchaeus was no righteous man. He was a notorious sinner, a despised man, a social outcast. And yet he was the one whom Jesus commanded to come down from the tree so that he might enjoy fellowship with him in his home. 
It was Zacchaeus who experienced salvation on that day, not the judgmental onlookers. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And interestingly, throughout Luke's gospel, any time tax collectors are referred to by Luke, Luke always speaks of them positively because they responded to Jesus' call to repent. Think of the famous parable of the Pharisee and the publican or tax collector. It was the tax collector who emerged from the temple, justified or declared right before God. And it is at the banquet of another converted tax collector, Levi. We know Levi as Matthew. Matthew, the author of the first of the the Gospels. It was at Levi's banquet that Jesus made the famous declaration, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the gospel is for sinners. But, number five, the gospel is also for wealthy people. In the previous study, in this superb series, we looked at the rich young ruler who was unwilling to put eternal life ahead of his worldly possessions. That encounter had had led to Jesus exclaiming, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Do you remember he said about uh, like like a easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Well, yes, it is hard, but it is not impossible. And drawing upon Jesus' own analogy, Daryl Bach comments, Zacchaeus was a rich man who got through the eye of a needle. And we know that there are very many wealthy Christians some of whom are very, very generous with their possessions. They channel significant personal resources into supporting the work of mission and poverty relief. I can think of a number that spring to mind locally of very rich Christian businessmen who have been incredibly supportive of Christian mission. Wealth is not inherently evil. It is only when wealth becomes our master and the source of our security in life that it becomes a spiritual problem. Number six, the need for repentance. Of one thing we can be absolutely certain, Zacchaeus did repent of his sin, for he pledged to give away half of his possessions and more than recompense anyone that he had defrauded in the past. And repentance is absolutely vital, fundamental to salvation. Indeed, there is no salvation without repentance. Just to be clear, repentance is not just confession. It's not just admitting that you're a sinner. Neither is it just remorse feeling sorry about your sin. Repentance is a change of mind. It is saying, I now agree with God's verdict 
on my sin. And it is a determination to change your ways, to be done with sin, to turn away from your sinful ways. And Zacchaeus was promising such. Indeed, he pledged to go above and beyond what John the Baptist, for example, had ordered repentant tax collectors to do. Namely, don't collect any more than you are required to do. John 3 verse 13. Zacchaeus was going way beyond that. You see, a changed life is evidence of a new heart. And our actions will show whether our profession of having been converted to Christ is sincere, is genuine, or it's just empty words. Number seven, good works follow but do not merit salvation. I'll go by that clock, sorry. Good works follow but do not merit salvation. There is a danger, as with many of these encounters, I must say, that you, know, you can misinterpret um, the, the story here and, and get the wrong point. You, you know, at face value, you could maybe conclude that because Zacchaeus here and now promised to be generous and to make restitution for his past um, misdemeanors as a taxman, that he thereby earned his salvation. But not so. Salvation is always a gift. It is never earned. It is not by good deeds, no matter how generous or genuine good deeds are. They won't merit salvation. Good works follow salvation. They do not precede salvation. And Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 make this abundantly clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And finally, Jesus' mission is to save. Luke 19, verse 10, the last verse in our text for this morning I think that has to be one of the absolute standout verses in all of Scripture. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It's commonplace, of course, for companies and organizations and indeed for churches to have mission statements. You know, this is what we're really about. This is our goal. This is our purpose. Well, Verse 10 of our reading here, that is Jesus' mission statement. He came into this world to save, to rescue sinners like you and like me, to rescue us from our sin and condemnation, to make us acceptable to God, to become part of God's family, and to enjoy a relationship with God that begins now but which will never end. And as we've been thinking about this morning, he did this by dying for us on Calvary's cross. And our mission, Castlereagh Fellowship's mission, must be to point others to that cross and to the salvation that is to be enjoyed by anyone and everyone 
who just like Zacchaeus repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.